Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are three teams in the NFL that have at least nine wins, and yet according to their fan bases, the sky is falling, the season is over, everything is lost. Uh, Of course, that being the Lions, Dolphins, and Eagles. Uh, December has not been the month for any of these teams so far. And we're going to try to explain exactly what has gone wrong, why it has gone wrong, whether or not this is a threat to any or all of their Super Bowl runs. And, you know, maybe maybe it won't make those fan bases feel better, but it at least will give them a a better understanding of what what is actually going on. So uh, that is the goal for today's episode. Before we get into it, EJ, my friend, my brother, how you doing? I'm good. I'm better than those fan bases, I think, because it's all about timing in the NFL and peaking at the right time or the wrong time can be the difference in a season. Now, I think all these teams are good enough. Spoiler alert that they're probably going to probably going to make their noise in the postseason anyways. But yes, they are not the threshing machines that they have all been individually earlier in the season. We're going to try and pick apart the, the hows and whys of that so that fan bases can be looking for things that need to improve to get them back to that status we kind of structured this episode around uh a few questions i guess you can call it almost like a mailbag episode but like not really sure. but there was a few questions we got in the comments from the last episode that were asking specific questions about these teams and then we kind of use those uh as a as a jumping off point but before we get into those three teams um there was something that we wanted to bring up that i was not aware of I mean I was aware of it but it was kind of more just like a background threat until all of a sudden you know you wake up one day and it's like there's no Browns left they're all injured like how how is this team an eight and five team how are they still the five seed it's it's kind of amazing how much it snuck up on me throughout the year but if you look at the Browns depth chart now versus September like they have what like 50% 50% of their guys at best, like the walking wounded out there, and they're still a five seed. It's pretty amazing. And especially in the last 10 days, that's the piece that snuck up, I think, on a lot of people was, look, every team is banged up at this time of year. Every team has lost a starter, probably a key starter at this point. Multiple teams have lost multiple starters at this point. When you start looking at the Browns' losses, they're really concentrated. They've lost their top three tackles. They're, they're starting outside tackles and their swing tackle. Um, Okoronko went out this week. Uh, Jerome Ford has a hand, in, hand injury. He's not necessarily out, but he's dinged up. Delpit, who they just paid a ton of money, he's gone for the regular season. He might be back, you know, depending on how IR goes and if they make the playoffs for, for any playoffs. But all of a sudden you look up and it's like rapidly changing their outlook. We know about the injuries to the quarterback position. Those have been pretty high profile. Obviously, Nick Chubb went out. Jerome Ford came in and we were like, cool, he's good. And they kind of went through a period there where, yeah, they had, I would I would term them as regular losses. And then really within the last week, it's been like, and blank is out. And blank is out. Mm-hmm. And blank is out too. And you're like, every day you wake up and there's a new Brown going to IR. And at some point, look, I know it's next man up in the NFL I know that's what every coach will preach, but backups are backups for a reason. 
<laughs> they are not as talented as the players in front of them. And when you lose enough starters, your overall talent level drops to the point where the needle starts to go into the red. Browns are getting close. If I counted correctly, it's either nine or ten new starters in the depth chart right now relative to their their opening depth chart for the season. So it's slightly under half of their team has had turnover. And in some cases, or at least in some positions, multiple times they've had to cycle new, you know, their OT4, RB3, QB. I don't know what number is DTR at this point, because at some point he was two and then he was three and then he's four. And now I don't even know what, what you consider DTR. It's like a switch release, right? Yeah. The three is the new two and he's back to three again. <laughs> little pre-snap motion. It is uh, It is kind of an incredible coaching job by Stefanski, though, that that this team is still mm-hmm. at the five seat. Like, not hanging on for dear life for a seven, but at the five. Um, I will say, looking ahead to the rest of their schedule, um, you know, they're playing against, uh, this week I remember, yeah, Bears, which we just talked about their defense last week. It's playing like a top five defense. That's not exactly an easy game anymore. Then you got Houston. Houston's very banged up, but I'm never counting C.J. Stroud out, especially at home. So that's not exactly an easy game. Then you got the Jets, which good luck against that defense with backup offensive linemen. Uh, And then you close it out against a red-hot Bengals team. So it's not guaranteed they're going to make the playoffs because their schedule is not exactly a cakewalk. But I do think that it's admirable that Stefanski, with this banged up of a team, it still even has them in the conversation. Like, that's just amazing to me. If he takes this team through that remaining four games, comes out with 10 wins, like if he goes 500 in those four games and he comes out with 10 wins with this team, one of the better coaching jobs in the league this year. He won't win coach of the year just because it feels like those those awards always are it's really more like best young rookie coach than it is coach of the year. Like that's kind of just what happens. Like if Steichen takes the Colts to the playoffs, he's going to win it, right? Like maybe D'Amico if he takes the Texas to the playoffs. But um, it's at least one of the top five in the league this year uh, just to keep that team afloat. Um, now, getting to the actual meat of the episode, what we're here to talk about for, uh, for, for most of the show today, we're going to start it off with the Lions and – we got a question in the comments from last week that, that kind of spurned this discussion on what's going on in Detroit. Uh, this is from Max Smith 8475 He said, can you all please break down why the hell the Lions have forgotten how to play football half the time? Which is a very broad, overarching question. Um, I'll, I'll get into some numbers in a bit, but my the, the short version of my answer, I should say, is trenches on both sides of the ball especially in the pass game, both pass rush and pass protection. And they they are not as deep there as maybe we thought they were going into the year. And the injuries that they have sustained have proven to be far, far, far more devastating than, than what I anticipated. And they are losing the line of scrimmage, especially in the pass game, like basically every single week at this point, and it's come back to bite them feels like the league's gotten some tape on Ben Johnson. Now they had it after last year and they still couldn't solve him at the beginning of this year because he too had made changes, kept slightly ahead of the curve. You're talking about the talent in terms of pass protection that allowed them to utilize all those weapons. The focus, you know, all year, rightly or wrongly in Detroit has been on the weapons, Jaron Goff distributing Sam Laporta, having a great rookie season, you know, Jameer Gibbs at some point looking like, oh, he was worth it, you know, taking him up that high. David Montgomery playing the role that we thought he was going to play. And that distribution was really good, but the line was allowing them to do that. The offensive line, especially in the pass game, was giving Jared Goff, who is not the most mobile guy, has what I would consider decent pocket movement, but not great pocket movement, to operate at a very high level. And it feels like what opposing teams have cracked, either due to injury or just, you know, scheme and seeing what's worked, is how to get Jared Goff under more pressure. And when he's under more pressure, he is much less effective. And that was the same as it was with the Rams. Ben Johnson had found a way to mask that largely with that very young, very talented offensive line that they'd invested in. Now it feels like the rest of the league's like, got it. Okay, we can get pressure on Goff again. Cool. We're a lot less worried about all those skill pieces on the Lions offense. 
in particular since week nine, which is kind of when Detroit started their slide. I don't count the Ravens' blowout loss as the start to the slide because most people get blown out by the Ravens. Um, but a couple weeks after that was where we first started to see, like, hmm, okay, they're not they're not as dominant or nearly as consistent as they were. Uh, since week nine, they have the ninth highest pressure rate allowed at 36%. A lot of that is because of the shuffling that they've had to undergo on the interior of the offensive line. They've had five guards take meaningful snaps in that time period. So they're not just down to OG1 and OG2 on each side. They're down to OG3. Like their backup backup swing guard is what they've been down to. Um, and it, results have not been good. Like results have not been good at all in terms of those two guard spots. And if there's one thing that we know about Jared Goff, like you said, interior pressure will wreck him. You know, he's not a he's not a hypermobile guy. He's not somebody who, you know, is like an explosive mover in the pocket in the sense that he can quickly redirect away and then escape out the front door and, and turn what would have been a sack for, say, Jalen Hurts into like a seven-yard gain or whatever. And so if you get interior pressure and your guards are getting whooped over and over and over again, like, yeah, your offense is going to struggle. And that's been a, a, a key piece for or a key problem for them. Um, I would also say their lack of depth. This sounds so odd because we came into the season looking at their defensive line rotation saying like, oh, they got dudes. They they don't really like it just hasn't it hasn't really taken a step. And, and of course, they've taken some injuries for guys that we know are actually good. But, you know, this is a team that, again, since week nine are second in pressures like they they get pressures but they don't finish them they're like the same problem that we had with the Jags defense but amplified even more you know they only have 14 sacks uh since week nine which is 27th as a team even though their pressure rate is 44 percent so yes getting pressure is important affecting the quarterback is important but what is just as important is actually finishing the job and generating negative explosive plays especially on early downs because if you can get a sack on first down or a sack on second down you know it completely knocks the drive uh you know uh, off schedule and there's always this misconception of like oh third down is where you win like third down getting a third down sack that's what you want it's like yeah obviously you want a sack on third down but what's even more important from an analytics perspective is a first down sack or a second down sack because it makes the likelihood of getting off the field a hell of a lot higher if you can make it second and 17 because you get a sack on first down. Like it's it's actually like more important to finish the job on early downs. And this team only has seven sacks, seven early down sacks in their last five games, right? Which is not good. So Getting the pressure is nice. You know, Aiden Hutchinson and, and you know, McNeil doing their thing is nice, but they're kind of the only ones. And there's no other finishers on this team, so they're not generating negative plays, which means they're always in third and medium rather than third and 11, which means their corners have to, you know, take up a, a much larger burden in terms of, oh, we can't just rally and tackle. It's like, oh, we have to cover the entire time. Like, we're not going to be forcing any checkdowns here. And it's just, it's made their defense kind of fall apart. You saw that in the Chargers game more than anything else. And so that, that's kind of why I think overall trench talent, or rather depth at trench talent, is going to be this team's undoing, which sounds insane because going into the year, that's what we thought they were good at. We were really hopeful about production and projection of production we knew Hutchinson was a good player you know Aleem McNeil had been up and down but he came into this year refreshed uh he was a little bit lighter and his pass rush definitely popped more on tape so we were like hey that's great they've got two young guys and then they have Josh Pascal, who we're excited about and they got Charles Harris from Atlanta and maybe he can come in as a rotational piece and like they've got a lot of pieces this feels good Pascal's not even taking first team reps it's John Kaminsky who has played pretty well I'm not this is no you know shame on Kaminsky's name he's he's put in a lot of effort and he's one of those guys that I think is punching above his weight he's creating more production than we thought he would have but we 
thought he would have zero coming in, so that's not a high bar to jump over. Benito Jones has been really solid on the interior, but he's not a pass rush threat. He's great against the run. He's great against plugging up gap and a half, two gaps. He'll get a little bit of pressure just by collapsing the pocket, but that's not a consistent thing. As soon as Aleem McNeil got hurt, it was just all Hutchinson and none of the other guys sort of rose up, that rising tide lifts all boats sort of thing. They just didn't. It was just Hutchinson and McNeil, and then McNeil went down. And they've got Anzarike, who has not been great, suffered injuries in the pros, just like he did in college. He hasn't stepped up to be that next guy. We were excited about that possibility. Charles Harris is third string. Um, You know, Hutchinson's still doing his thing, but he's like the Lone Ranger. He's like the guy out there doing his thing. And if you're planning against one pass rush threat for a team, almost any offensive coordinator can deal with that. So... They had two threats. We thought they had a bunch more potential threats. Those guys haven't risen up. One of those two threats went out with injury. Now you're down to backups and you're seeing that result. They're, you know, they're pushing, they're playing hard. That's, I think, representative of Dan Campbell's coaching. But in terms of results, they're not getting home and other offenses are able to operate, you know, with more impunity and their own offense is giving up interior pressure and not able to operate with the same level of efficiency that we saw that sort of just killer instinct in the beginning of the season. And I'm sure to Lions fans, it's concerning and it feels like a huge drop. It's not necessarily a huge drop, but it's two important drops in the wrong areas at the wrong time. The remaining Lions schedule, which is so interesting. Early in the year, we looked at this and we're like, oh, Lions are going to have you know, an, an easy time coasting to, to maybe a one seed with how their December schedule looked. They got Denver this week, which is not an easy game. It's one of the hottest teams in football. They've won six out of the last seven. Their defense is ferocious. Uh, They blitz constantly. They take advantage of subpar interior lines constantly. So RIP Jared Goff. Um, And if you cannot get pressure, or rather cannot get Russell Wilson on the ground, all of a sudden, you got to deal with Cortland Sutton making crazy, like glitch in the matrix catches, you know, 40, 50 yards down the field. So, not exactly an, a, a good matchup for Detroit, or uh, yeah, for Detroit this week. And then you got two games against the Vikings still to go. And you don't even get a week off in week 17 because you got Dallas. So, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a fun schedule for the rest of the season. They're at nine wins, so they're probably going to make the playoffs. But if they're not careful, like if they're not really, really careful, they could very easily lose this division to to Green Bay. Um, because if they go one and three in this back four, I'm not saying they will, but if they do, you know, if they lose to Denver, split with Minnesota, and lose to Dallas, and then Green Bay runs the table, like all of a sudden it's two teams sitting at 10 wins. And I, if I recall correctly, the tiebreakers go Green Bay's way. So it's, again, fire alarm is not on yet, but we're getting close here. Like they have to get more sacks more consistently and they have to improve their pass protection. I don't know how they can do it with their current talent issues, but that's it. Like that's the season for them. Got to do it. One quick note, and then we'll get right back to the show, I promise. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys are listening to this in the middle of your fantasy playoffs and trying to glean any sort of knowledge for any little advantage that you can when it comes to start sits. And uh, I wish I could help you guys out with that, truly. But I'm very resentful that you're in the playoffs and I'm not. It was a really rough year for me, I'm not going to lie. I went against my own advice and I didn't draft Puka when he was sitting right there, like I told all of you to draft Puka and I didn't do it because I'm an idiot. I, I put all my eggs in the Luke Musgrave basket when Sam Laporta was sitting right there. You know, Nick Chubb got hurt. I spent my fab all wrong. It was bad. Okay. It was a really bad fantasy year for me, but luckily I do have a chance at redemption. And many of you also have a chance at redemption. If your season went just as shitty as mine and that redemption is called playoff best ball. If you don't know what playoff best ball is, just as an example, if you play on underdog fantasy, for instance, up to six players will draft 10 rounds with a roster construction of one quarterback, one running back, two wide receivers or tight ends, and one flex. The games start in the wildcard round and run through the end of the playoffs, and it's best ball, so you don't have to set a lineup 
just whichever players at those positions that are on your roster score the highest. Those will be the points that you get credit for so that you don't get penalized for drafting really well, but then doing really poorly on start-sit decisions like, oh, I don't know, everybody does. The thing that makes playoff best ball different is that you have to be really good at predicting playoff matchups and which teams you think are going to go all the way because once a team gets eliminated in the playoffs, you can't use their players anymore, obviously. So for instance, last year, if you had a bunch of Eagles and Chiefs players in playoff best ball, you probably won the whole thing because you had available players every single week. So if you think you have a good handle on not just which teams are going to make the playoffs, but also which teams you think are going to go all the way, you might like playoff best ball. You can either play with your friends or you can play in huge tournaments with big cash prizes. Either way, you can check it out over on Underdog Fantasy using our promo code bootleg at the link in the description below, or you can use the QR code that's on the screen right now. Signing up with that promo code will automatically double any deposit you make up to 100 bucks, and you're also going to get access to a free half yard special in Pick'ems if you happen to like playing Pick'ems as well. This week's special, by the way, if you're listening to this before the Monday night game, is Jalen Hurts at over half a yard. So if you're an Eagles fan, or even if you're not an Eagles fan and you think Jalen Hurts can get at least one yard in a game, that special is for you. Thank you once again to Underdog for partnering with this channel and quite literally making all this possible. They are our largest sponsor, our title sponsor, our closest sponsor. And every time you guys sign up and play on Underdog, it directly benefits the show. So to all of you who've already done that and signed up and played with us, we could not possibly thank you enough. It really does help this show grow in more ways than you could possibly imagine. And to everybody who's about to sign up, we also thank you guys too, because it is a tremendous way to support what we do here. Well, also, you know, playing best ball and having a little fun on the side. So uh, once again, thank you to all of you in our audience. Thank you to Underdog for supporting us. And with that, let's get back to the show. Next team here. This comes from a question uh, from Ultra Hot Wings 9738. He says, the Eagles have been covered a lot by you guys, and I appreciate it. But I'm curious on how this Monday night could go. A good friend of mine is a Seahawks fan, and based on the chats we have, it seems both fan bases have broken glass in case of emergency or in full-on panic mode. Curious on how two spiraling teams with two absolutely chaotic fan bases are going to clash on Monday. Uh, EJ, are you going to that game, by the way? Because I know it's up by you. I'm not going to be at the Monday night game. Uh, I tend not to go to later season Seahawks games unless somebody gives me really good tickets. Um, it is a long day in Lumen Field. You're usually usually undercover. Most seats are undercover, but uh, it can be really, really cold. And people are like, oh, you're just soft. When it's like 38 and raining, it's some of the coldest conditions I've ever felt. And I grew up in the Northeast like that. It just gets in your bones. So I'm plenty happy to sit here in the cave, watch that game, dissect it with a nice beverage and and not spend all the extra time. Tend to go to earlier season games. Love Lumen Field. It's a great experience. But, you know, I'd rather be sitting there on like a 60 degree, you know, late summer night, like watching a Monday night game. That's a lot more fun for me. So I tend not to make um reservations for those but i'm absolutely going to be watching it because as ultra hot wings mentions you know two teams that we thought were going to be at the top of the nfc i would (laughs) i would hesitate to put them at the same level right now i think the seahawks have much larger um and more pressing problems than the eagles do but you wouldn't know it from the philly fans right again this is a team that was wrecking people in high style for most of the season even if they weren't playing their best games Now, when they have not played their best games, they've been beaten by other NFC teams, and that worries the Philly faithful deeply. So I think, yeah, he's correct. Both fan bases have their worries. I would not call them equal, but it will be fun to throw that chaos into the mix. I, man, where do I even begin with this Eagles team? Because... The more I kind of dug into it, and like we 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 talked very recently about Eagles' problems, right? Um, and how Jalen Hurts, you know, his his pocket skills have degraded over this season, and they have, they absolutely have. Uh, I was actually going back through every single one of his pressures late last night because I was trying to gather examples um, for for a, a different project that I'm working on that's related to the Eagles' offense, and. I went through the Buffalo game and I went through uh, the 49ers game and you could tell 
just in those two games compared to games that were about four or five weeks earlier that he does not trust his offensive line anymore, which sounds insane because the Eagles offensive line is the Eagles offensive line. But they got their ass kicked twice, actually three times, you know, twice by Dallas and then and then by the 49ers that the Bills uh, also, you know, regularly compressed the pocket against them too. And he didn't trust it. And so his pocket skills were greatly degrading. But that wasn't even the only, and I wouldn't even say it's the main problem. Like it's a contributing problem where Jalen will run himself into trouble or, you know, where he will, I don't know if I can do this without, without a, a proper visual example, but um, he's gotten into this tendency lately where, you know, he'll, he'll do his drop back. Let's say it's a five-step drop back or anything like that. And rather than having stable, uh, or rather than keeping himself on a stable platform, when he's stepping up away from edge pressure on time and in rhythm, you know, he won't kind of do the the climb with the footwork that you normally see a quarterback do. He will literally tuck and then he'll, he'll again, it's not stepping up, it's running up. And, and it's not staying on platform. It's not staying in a ready throwing posture, I guess you could say, uh, throughout the entire timing of the play. It's drop back, run up away from pressure, and then he'll realize that he kind of threw himself off rhythm and that he can't all of a sudden throw a deep out on time because he's not on platform, and then he'll just run, and he'll get the exact same amount of yards that he would have got if he just stepped up normally. So that is also a problem for him. Um, from a, a, a systemic standpoint, you know, even just taking Hurts out of it, this is also a team that's been incredibly static, you know, not using motions, not using shifts. Uh, if we're looking at just motion stats over the last five games, they only have 102 total motion plays, which is the second fewest, and they're at 36.3 motion percentage, meaning the percentage of plays that have used shifts or motions. That's the third least. So, you know, Hertz's pocket skills have eroded. The system itself doesn't do a great job of just creating space that he can read quickly, you know, using motions to back DBs off to give their guys free releases. You, you saw this in the Niners game. They they did, they did their usual, you know, we're going to line up and play, and then the Niners covered everybody, and Hertz was standing back there for like six seconds just waiting for somebody to get open until he finally took a sack. So there's systemic problems, there's Hertz problems. And then I would also say there's there's run game problems too, which is now putting even more pressure on Hertz and their receivers to go out and win. Because this is a team that with their bread and butter run concept, and this has been for years at this point, their bread and butter run concept being inside zone from the shotgun, because this is almost exclusively a shotgun team, all of a sudden they're only allowing or only averaging 3.3 yards per carry on inside zone, which is supposed to be the one thing that they can do on the ground to keep everything balanced. They can't do that right now. So I guess what I'm trying to say overall is that nothing works. Hertz doesn't trust his offensive line. His offensive line hasn't earned that trust. Like they have a, a top four pressure rate allowed over the last five games, at like 40%, which is terrible. The only teams worse than them are the Giants, Titans, and Panthers. So that's an issue. The offensive design in the pass game is an issue because it's so static. And then the run game doesn't work. So looking at, at this team from a top-down angle, it, it's not even about, oh, what's wrong? It's more so, can we find something that's right? And other than, you know, Jalen Hurts making spectacular plays and saying, fuck it, AJ's down there somewhere, or Devontae's down there somewhere, or Dallas is down there somewhere, and them just being more talented than people, other than those types of plays, this Eagles offense doesn't, doesn't really do anything well. And I, it's almost kind of a miracle that they're a 10-win team because I can't recall the last time I saw a team with a defense as bad as theirs, with a passing game that is as difficult as theirs with a pressure rate allowed that is as high as theirs that has won 10 games. Like this shouldn't, like the record doesn't match what the team is. And I think that's what Eagles fans are feeling. And that's where I think the existential crisis is coming from 
because they've watched this team all year and they're like, we're winning, but it doesn't feel right. And all these numbers that I just talked about are why it doesn't feel right because it isn't right. Like it's, this isn't normal. Teams shouldn't win like this, but they've managed to do it. And I don't really know how. It's the roster. Like this is a Jimmy's and Joe's thing. The roster that how he's put together is extremely talented. And yeah, probably what Philly fans have been feeling all year is, yeah, it's extremely talented, but it doesn't feel extremely talented all the time. We should be absolutely rolling teams. And while they've been beating teams, that's what we've been saying all the way along is, yeah, they beat them, but they didn't play their best game. And, you know, yeah, they still won. That's what we've said all year. And they have. And I think that's a credit to the talent that they have. But the talent is not being maximized. And you brought up most of the things that I saw when I went back. Motion on the offense is really big. You talked about that one. But let's take another, you know, let's take a look at another team that you mentioned in this run up, which is the Bills. The Bills motion rate since Brady took over is one of the highest in the NFL. And they have refound their offensive footing with largely the same offense and the same personnel, but way more motion. And it's helping their offense. Whereas during the same period, the Eagles amount of motion has been decreasing and other teams have been preying on that. You talked about the fact that the big play early in the year was screw it. AJ's down there somewhere. I'm going to whip it down there and he's going to win. Well, right now with the way the pocket is collapsing, the timing for that play is right when Jalen is tucking and stepping up. He's pulling his eyes down right during the window where those throws would be coming open or he would be launching it. So he can't because like you said, he's not on platform. He's got his eyes on the ball down. Then he comes out, pulls his eyes and the balls back up. But at that point, coverage is caught up or it's too far away. You know, AJ's turning around to come back to the ball, whatever it is. And that play is not there. So you don't get the chunk. The run plays haven't been great. And then the end all be all, the reason you really couldn't compete with the Eagles in the past was even if you covered all that stuff up, Jalen would run. Well, Jalen's knee's not right, and teams are not fearing that. They're allowing that. They're like, look, the the blueprint, if you want, defensively against the Eagles is line up and play contain, get a little bit of pressure from one guy to make Jalen step up, and then cover, right? Just cover. And you're not going to have to cover right in the middle of the down, and we don't really care if there's a hole in the middle because Hertz isn't going to take off for 15 or 20 yards, reset the downs and do it all over again. And that was always the fail safe for the Eagles offenses. You could do everything right against them. And then Jalen would step up and take an easy 18 yards. And you'd be like, damn it. His knee is bugging him. He still runs, but it's not the same. It's not explosive. He's not doing it consistently. And therefore teams are like, look, we're going to put a nice four person, sometimes five person rush around there. We're going to create a little pressure to poke the pocket so he ducks his head, and then we're just going to cover. And it's working. Even if he does take off, too, they're like, fine, have your banged-up quarterback get 15 carries. Sure. (laughs) Good for you guys. Like, That's not going to work out as well as you think it is. No, they don't want that as as the Eagles. Jalen obviously does not want that. He is not. I'm not going to say he's not willing to take off because he absolutely is. And he's a super tough dude. There's no question about that, but he's not wanting to do it. He's almost wanting to do the opposite, wanting to sort of hang in a pocket and be like, no, I can be a pocket passer, but that's not going so well. And what you said, I think, which is most important is they need to find something at this time of year that they can hang their hat on. All teams do going into the playoffs. And, you know, the the Broncos just did it on defense. Like, we're going to create a whole lot of turnovers. Is it sustainable? No, but it's our thing right now and it's working for us. So that's what we're going to ride. And the rest of the team needs to be, you know, average to good enough to take care of that. Right now, it doesn't feel like the Eagles on defense or on offense have that thing, have their thing. If you ask Philly fans, what's their thing right now? Like, what can they do no matter what against anybody? I don't think you'd find one answer because I'm not sure there is one. Even the pass rush, uh, obviously the defensive line is good, but it has not generated negative plays to the same level, like nearly the same level that they did last year where they had like a historically good sack rate. Like it's not, it's not the same this year, right? So, and, you know, even looking at the, the Seahawks game on Monday night, like that's not, that's not necessarily going to be a pushover either. And I know the Seahawks are kind of reeling in their own ways. 
Um, but when I pulled coverage data for them against plays that have no motion, I was like, let me look at passing plays that are non-RPO, non-play action, no motion. You know, that that Eagles style of just line up and line go it up. in. Yep. It's like, what, what do the Seahawks do against that type of, of motion or that type of play? They are uh, 8.1 average depth of target allowed, which is the 29th, or I guess it would technically be the fourth shortest in the league if we want to be more accurate about it. Uh, they've only allowed 5.38 yards per coverage snap, which is the eighth lowest, i.e. good. Uh, they have 33 forced incompletions, which is the third most. They have a 13.6% forced incompletion rate on pass plays, which is the fifth best. If you're going to line up and play against the Seahawks and, and trust your guys to go beat press man coverage, they're one of the few teams that's actually welcoming that because they have dudes that can line up and play too. Um, I haven't checked on Witherspoon's injury, so I'm not entirely sure what, what he's looking like right now, but... I will say when they're all healthy and they have all their DBs out there and they can just go talent for talent, pound for pound, it's not exactly a great matchup for Philly. So they're going to have to run the ball because one of the things the Seahawks don't do well is stop inside zone. They allow four and a half yards per carry. They're going to have to run the ball. It's going to have to be a DeAndre Swift game, in my opinion, because if they're trying to do what they normally try to do, we just say Jalen, AJ, Devontae, go win the game. This is not the matchup you want to do that in. They're probably not going to get away with it as easily. Spoon's injury is concerning. He only played about seven plays, I think, versus San Francisco. Had a very nice pass breakup versus Kittle, but then was out of the game and did not come back. So I haven't seen an update on his status It was either. a back injury, I think, right? I'm not I sure. Think, yeah. Not sure what they designated last. I heard, you know, pizza day to day, but I tend not to listen to that because everybody says day to day, and especially Pete's day to day can go on for like eight weeks. So I, I'll just wait <laughs> until they give him a designation later today. Uh, definitely a better chance to match up against the Eagles weapons if he's in there. But Tariq Wollins had a bit of a resurgence, is super willing to play physically against big wide receivers on the outside. We saw that in person versus Cortland Sutton in his very first start. Uh, ever in his career and you know he proved very capable at that style of defense he is willing to stand up and bang and you know it's going to be frustrating the Eagles are going to have to be sharp they are going to have to lean on their own game the defense is going to have to play better against the run because the Seahawks run game is decent inside and the Cowboys abused Jalen Carter and everybody's going to say EJ Jalen Carter had a huge play in that game he did absolutely but if you look at his stats against the run versus Dallas Dallas took care of him. And now Dallas's offensive line takes care of a lot of people in the run game, but Jalen Carter was largely neutralized against the run in that Cowboys game. It was a big reason the Cowboys were able to stay on schedule and move the ball. So they're going to have to buck up too, because, you know, Hawks, Hawks love their run game. They're going to bang Charbonneau, you know, or Charbonneau in between the tackles. He's had some success there over the past couple of weeks. So, you know, they're going to have to just play a little bit better ball across the board. And anybody that thinks they're just going to roll in on the road, take advantage of a team that's struggling and, you know, sort of reel off the easy W and get back on the plane. I don't think it's going to be that easy. Can it be an Eagles victory? It can, but they're going to have to have not just one thing, but I would say several things go right for them to make that happen. Last topic for the day. This comes from a question from uh, Sean Jaravac. I hope I got the I name correct. So. Uh, he said, hearing the breakdown on the Ravens defense makes me interested in what will happen when they play the Dolphins in a couple weeks. The Dolphins offense looked horrible last night, but with all the motions, it could be a good matchup. Uh, how you guys bring this up for the second show, or hope you guys bring this up for the second show of the week next week, which is this show. Um, so he mentioned a hey, Dolphins offense looked horrible last night. Last night when he wrote this was... Uh, right after that just truly terrible loss to the Titans where they had, I'm not kidding, a 98.6% chance to win the game with three minutes left. And then Will Levis and DeAndre Hopkins happened and it was horrible. And I, I, I DM Travis after and I was like, dude, what the hell? <laughs> he just, he yeah. couldn't believe it. 
he couldn't believe it. Like he was in shock, right? And I, I felt like that loss was the ultimate culmination in everything that we've talked about with this Dolphins team the entire year. In the sense that they get, they get thrown off schedule by the tiniest thing, and then they really struggle to recover. It happened in the Bills game. Happened in the Eagles game. Like every single Dolphins loss this year is from like literally them rolling and then getting one penalty and they can't get back in front of the chains. Their their traditional drop back pass game, like non RPO, non play action, like let's just drop back and throw, is not good enough to get themselves out of a jam when they're behind the sticks. And that has been a consistent theme. To the point where if you look at the Dolphins offense from from the Titans game, you can see exactly where like three key penalties basically ruined the game for them. They started out strong opening drive, turnover on the two-yard line because it's the Dolphins, of course they did. Uh, Then they had a 10-play drive, got knocked off schedule by a holding penalty, had to punt at the Tennessee 45 on their second drive. Then they had a blocked field goal in the next drive. Then they they had another punt on the next drive after that where they, again, got knocked off schedule by a penalty. Had another drive right after that. Um, got derailed by a hold, which then led to a long third down that they couldn't pick up. Took a sack because their offensive line is just really struggling in pass protection. Then they finally got two short touchdown drives back-to-back of 12 and 8 yards, respectively. You know, they got set up by, by turnovers and special teams and, and everything like that. Um, I think that was around when the, the Will Levis pitch went awry. <laughs> um, but it was it was one of those games where you look back and you're like, hmm, how did the Dolphins actually get their points? Okay, you got a pick six and then two touchdown drives that were 12 yards or less. The rest of the game, like they got yards. Like their yards per play was fine. They were getting explosives. They were doing their thing. But the moment, I'm talking the very moment, They had a hold. They had a false start. They took any sort of negative play whatsoever. This is not a team that can get knocked down into the mud and get back up. Like, everything has to go perfect. And when it goes perfect, it's beautiful. It's like a fucking symphony over there. But the second somebody plays the wrong note, it all falls apart. And that's been their weakness this year is is they either play a perfect game or they lose. And I feel like in January, you have to be able to get dragged down into the mud and be able to get yourself out of it. I'm not sure they can. And I don't really know how they're going to be able to fix it either. There's no easy answers. Uh, My take on the Monday night game that Sean was talking about when he made this comment was this offense, and this isn't, you know heady Oxford level stuff uh, without Tyreek Hill is very, very different and like worlds different black and white different. And he was in for the first quarter. They showed real flash and Tyreek Hill because of his ability. He's playing like Superman this year. He's on pace for 2000 yard season. And the amount that he affects a defense, whether or not he is catching the ball is ridiculous like his gravitational pull is about two and a half to three defenders that will just be like we kind of got to go over here because if he hurts us it could kill us if any of the rest of these guys hurt us it's not going to kill us now this is not waddle slander waddle is a very good wide receiver he ain't tyreek it's not the same not in physicality not in yak like he can get open and he is a very good number two i would be happy to have him on my team but he is not Tyreek Hill and this team the offense that McDaniels built is built around the explosion that Hill brings it and it's the same with Tua we love Tua we really love Tua when Tyreek Hill's on the field Tua without Tyreek Hill especially over this last half of the season not good his numbers drop precipitously without one player on the field like if that's not an MVP argument I'm not sure what it is he's not going to win it but The difference in this offense is obvious. And when something, when that's the wrong note, when he gets dinged up, gets his ankle rolled and goes off the field for a quarter and a half, like 
forget it. This offense isn't going anywhere. They talked about how they want to establish toughness. Everybody talks about the timing and the precision of the routes, but they want to be tough. They're struggling to do that right now, especially along the offensive line with injuries. They've gotten some guys back. Guys have gone back out on injury. But more so than that, the sort of underlying current of can we be tough? Can we punch scores in in the red zone? Do we have to get away from the trickery and just say, our guys on your guys, we're getting six here. And it doesn't feel like this Dolphins team can do that right now. And I'm with you. I'm not exactly sure how they're going to generate that out of nothing in the next three or four weeks. Another issue, uh, which is semi-related, actually not even semi, very much related, Um <laughs> offensive line being as thin as it is for them kind of a honestly a similar problem to Detroit where we kind of came into the year and we're like oh yeah they, they got they got enough they got it's like a hockey team they're two benches deep they're gonna be fine uh no they're not they are they are not two benches deep whatsoever uh you know they lost Connor Williams to an ACL and then had to move Liam Eikenberg um over to center and that means all of a sudden um you know, you've got Robert Jones coming into the game at guard, which is, in in terms of the guard play they were getting earlier in the year, <laughs> to the guard play that they get from Robert Jones, it is a grand canyon of difference, right? And that one injury might end up hurting them more than almost anything else other than a Tyreek injury, right? Because... Interior pressure, again, is something that affects Tua very similarly to how it affects Goff. They're they're both not the most mobile guys. They need to have the interior of the pocket rigid, firm, clean, give them space to step up and operate and everything like that. Uh, when Robert Jones is in the game, that ain't happening. So they got to figure something out. Like they really, really got to figure something out or else their offensive line injuries are going to be their undoing because you got Kendall Lamb out there also at left tackle. Uh, their starting five in the games that they were healthy this year were brilliant, like absolutely brilliant. They don't have it anymore. And I don't know if they're deep enough on that offensive line to to go up against, um, you know, like you said, Baltimore. They got to play them a couple weeks. I don't know if they're deep enough in that offensive line to hold up against that pass rush consistently. And it, it, in fact... I'd venture to say that if those two teams are playing today, knowing what we know right now, I'd probably take the Ravens by a touchdown. I really would. Because I just I don't think Miami can protect. And I don't think they can stay on schedule against that Ravens D. And once they're off schedule, kind of toast. They don't rebound well from getting punched in the mouth right now. And playoff football is all about getting punched in the mouth, whether it's through injury, whether it's through a defensive coordinator coming up with a one day plan to really just stick a knife in whatever you do well and say, do something else, whether it's weather. I don't have a lot of faith in this team right now to get knocked down to the mat, pop right back up and punch back and say, OK, let's go. Um, it's possible, but the the window for them to do that the crack is the crack in that window is really thin they're gonna have to squeeze it in there and like you said it's easy to get off that schedule and it's not easy for this team to get back on and that's a concern overall i would say the main message of today is each one of these contending teams has to hit a lot of green lights for the <laughs> yes. rest of the year right they, they they each have a narrow slice in which they can win the game right now let alone against other contending teams. It's not impossible for all of them to go on a run. Like I would still probably take all of them over the vast majority of teams in their conference. But when pair, or at least when comparing them against the two teams that I think are at the top of their respective conferences, you know, 49ers and Cowboys in the NFC, Baltimore in the AFC, it's it doesn't feel the same to me. It feels like kind of two two tiers of good team exist right now. And all the teams that we talked about today are in the second tier. We didn't think they were going to be, but they are. And might be a tough pill to swallow for those respective fan bases, but deep down inside, I think they know that's true. 
Well, they've seen it demonstrated. And, and again, uh, you know, Bill Parcells would say that confidence comes from demonstrated ability. If you're lacking confidence as a fan right now, it's because the demonstrated ability of your team to do some of these things that are very important to win football games is not what it was earlier in the season. It's not that your team's never done it. Not that your team can't do it again, maybe even in the playoffs. It just doesn't look like it right now for the reasons we talked about. You know, I'm with you. Can they rally? Can they beat most of the opponents on their schedule? Do they match up favorably, you know, when they get to the playoffs? Sure. And again, the season's a roller coaster. They were up. They're down now. Does it mean they're not going to be up again before the season? We've seen this happen with multiple teams throughout the year going in both directions. So this is not the death knell. This is not the final tally. We are not saying, you know, they can't do it. We're saying they have to. I love to hit a lot of green lights. That's perfect because they're just not able to impose their will like they were earlier in the season in some of the things they were best at. Now that they've sort of lost that best punch, can they come up with the other hand, we'll see. Before we get out of here, I want to thank our partners over at Homage, which uh, so graciously host all the bootleg merch as well as officially licensed NFL merch for whatever your favorite team is. So even if you don't want uh, a bootleg shirt or a bootleg hoodie this holiday season, but you do want something for one of your, or not one of, for your <laughs> NFL team, well, I don't know, maybe some of you guys root for multiple teams. Uh, you can head over to the link in the description below or use the QR code that's on screen right now because we get a cut of anything, not even just NFL related, but anything at all on Amage that you use or that you buy with our link. We get uh, credit for that and a cut of that. And we appreciate all of you uh, that have supported the show indirectly by doing that. Also want to thank our direct supporters over on the executive producer tier on Patreon, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L., once again, couldn't do the show without you guys. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to all of you for watching this late in the show. Hope that we shined some light, uh, however depressing it may have been, on uh, three contending teams that are struggling right now. Again, if you guys have any uh, comments, questions, suggestions for next week's show as we gear up for the home stretch heading into the playoffs, uh, please feel free to leave those below. Uh, it kind of makes our job easier if you guys tell us what you want us to talk about. So. That definitely helps. EJ, any final words for you? Oh, I'm sure the comments section is going to be clean and even, and everybody's going to agree wholeheartedly. Oh, not unhinged <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, no. Uh, we love the input. We really appreciate the ability to be able to do this, to answer some of your questions directly from the comments. We do read them. And, you know, you all have been responding quite favorably to the shift in format later, you know, in the later part of this year. So, you know, thanks to you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, thanks for paying attention. And oh, oh, we the bringers of doom point us in the right direction. <laughs> we too <laughs> can throw a little bit of shade on your team. But um, until next time, you know, we'll see you then.